Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason Moore, my buddy, welcome back. It's dual cast number 35, Brian. Well, this is one of the things that I really look forward to every two weeks is talking to you about the past episode and how that went. Me too. So what did you think of the Nikki Pilkington interview? Yeah, I, it was a good interview, Brian, and pretty good quality considering where she was. She was across the pond. So yeah, at her flat in London talking on her iPhone hotspot. Yeah, that was the, turned out really good. I really like her work as an artist. Her watercolors are just absolutely amazing. And I also like what she does with the use of neon or fluorescent paint to really bring to life her sketches that she does. It's really nice work. I'm really happy to see that she's having some success as an artist, both kind of on her own, whether she's selling her art online or in galleries and making an impact on social media as well. Yeah, I like the fact that she's doing it in a sustainable way. She's doing her part in the world, whether it's through using... uh, materials that are biodegradable to package her art and ship it out to her customers and all the way down to uh, not buying garbage bags. I don't think she's bought a garbage bag since she was in college. That's right. And so she's really an environmental activist and committed to this cause. So it's nice to see artists that have a worldview that is beyond themselves. It was fun to talk to her about that. Oh yeah. I'd forgotten about that actually, that she's you know, so environmentally savvy. And uh, that's true. She did mention that (laughs) she hadn't purchased a garbage bag since college. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) She just uses carrot bags and potato bags (laughs) and drives her husband crazy with (laughs) that type of environmentalism in the home. But I love it. Oh, I do too. I, you know, I just recently, because of my wife, started fully recycling. I didn't used to do it at all. And, um, oh, dude, I know. Get with the times, brother. I know. And this has just been within the last three, four years, you know, that I started really consciously doing it. And so we use our recycling bin quite frequently now. You know what I really appreciated about Nikki Pilkington, Jason, is that she is a, what we call a social media influencer. She has over 60,000 Instagram followers. And these are very dedicated super fans that love her work for obvious reasons. And when I went into this, I thought, well, what, what am I going to get here? This is a social media influencer. Are they going to be shallow or dismissive or how are they going to approach an interview like this? And, and I'll have to confess, sometimes I have preconceived ideas of folks based upon just the number of followers they have, <laughs> frankly, right. and, um, and especially on Instagram. And she was so down to earth and so not what you would expect from a social media influencer. And toward the end of the interview, we really got into a nice substantive discussion about social media, the perils of social media, and how she navigates that to stay grounded and stay focused on what's important. So it was, it it went in places that I didn't expect it to go. And it also revealed a lot of humanity in Nikki that I didn't expect to see. It's always fun to discover those things during interviews, and especially when they challenge your expectations before the interview. You come out on the other end 
completely surprised by what you found. I agree. Worked out really well, Brian. Yeah, she was really kind to share about the episode on social media as well. And um, I, I expect to reconnect with her down the road. She actually suggested a follow-up interview, but this time we would conduct the interview at a Welsh pub. Oh, awesome. That would be perfect. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, that would be great. I would love to go. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll just put it on the business account. <laughs> right on. Use that last 10 bucks we have. Right. Man, I, I have so many people I need to talk to in London anyway, and I, I do want to visit Ireland. The last time I was in the UK, I, I went to Scotland and to Cardiff, Wales, but I do want to see Ireland and I have some people that I need to interview, including a movie producer that I met at Sundance last year by the name of Piero Frescobaldi. Wow. If that's not the coolest fucking name I've ever heard, <laughs> it's like you, you can't get much more chic than that Piero Frescobaldi. But he and I were scheduled actually to talk in London we met and had a great meeting and a lunch in Park City at Sundance, and he invited me to London to interview him, and then the pandemic hit. Oh, man. So that needs to happen. There's a sculptor and installation artist that I need to talk to over there as well. So I cannot wait for things to open up to the point where I can start traveling again and hopefully have this follow-up interview with Nikki at the Welsh Pub. That would be absolutely perfect. So you and I participated in something pretty special this week. Mm -hmm. Keep Music Live WA. This was an online event, a YouTube event, a charity fundraiser for small independently owned music venues in Washington State. What are your thoughts on how that went last night? I think it went great. It kind of started off a little, little weird. I thought it seemed like it was just going to be like a Zoom meeting between a few local artists, including Sir Mix-a-Lot. He was there quite a bit. But it uh, ended up being really cool with video clips from different bands, the Presidency of the United States, Pearl Jam, Heart, had uh, a live performance from Trace Leches. Remember them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a rocking performance. Oh, it really was. Sound quality wasn't so good, but it's, it's Zoom, though. So what are you, you going to expect? Exactly. And that's exactly why we need to get back into venues so we can actually hear the music the way it's supposed to be heard, you know, instead of over Zoom. I agree. That's kind of the point of the whole band together, right? Keep music live, wah charity. So um, I was just, I was impressed. Here's, a, I'll tell you what I was impressed with was uh, Brandy Carlisle's version of "Nothing Compares to You." Holy shit, dude! That was amazing. That blew me away. I mean, that Prince song is really difficult to sing. I've tried it before. I when I sing along, it's only alone in my car. Uh, because it's too shameful to try to pull off in front of a, in front of other people. <laughs> but Brandy Carlisle just nailed it last night. It was really cool to see her appear at this event and sing that song and just nail it like she did. Oh, yeah. It was probably one of the better performances I've seen. I like um, Chris Cornell's version of it, too. Unfortunately, we've, we've lost Chris a few years ago. But, uh, but Brandy Carlisle, man, she hit it out of the park, dude. She did. The dude playing guitar next to her looked like Ethan Hawke. Did you notice that? Did the dude with the hat? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm, <laughs> it wasn't, but it sure did. <laughs> I, I don't think it was Ethan, but it, no. it looked like a body double. Right. You know, there's quite a bit going on. A lot of surprise pop-ins from various artists and actors that live in Washington State. 
And I think it's something that they should do more often, actually, especially while the pandemic's still going and, and, and maybe even carry it on even when we're out of the woods with the pandemic. I'd like to see them, uh, you know, polish it up and streamline it and get more bands involved. I agree. It was a lot of fun. They packed so much into two hours. It started at 7.30 last night, ended at 9.30, and I had no idea what to expect. I turned it on thinking, oh, there's going to be some live performances, maybe, you know, Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam were supposed to be there. I turn it on and Sir Mix-a-Lot is there. Right. And of course, Sir Mix-a-Lot is a, is a uh, famous entertainer from Seattle, from the Pacific Northwest, who now lives in Auburn. Mm -hmm. And uh, seeing him was pretty cool because you and I started working together right about the time that I interviewed Sir Mix-a-Lot's manager, Ricardo Fraser. That's right. That was actually the first one that I was fully involved with. I think that was episode 12. Talking to Ricardo was kind of a turning point for me. Because he's the one who introduced me to Hollis Wong Ware, mm. and that took me down to Los Angeles to kind of veer more in a musical direction Yeah, on the podcast. I also learned a lot about the music business through my interview with Ricardo. And incidentally, another name that popped up, a face that popped up last night for the fundraiser was Chris Ballou from Presidents of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And this triggered a memory. Oh, from my chat with Ricardo, and I don't know if this made it on mic. I don't know if it's actually in the interview or not. Maybe you can refresh my memory if it is. But Ricardo said that Sir Mix-a-Lot had recorded an album with the Presidents of the United States of America with Chris Ballou. Right. Yep. And that for some reason, for legal reasons, they could not put this album out, but yet they continued to tour. And I'm thinking about this as I'm listening to Sir Mix-a-Lot. Talk about this as he introduces Chris Ballou and says, hey, we went on tour together and get this. We did it without an album. And uh, toward the end of the discussion, Sir Mix-a-Lot said, hey, what about this album that needs to come out? And Chris said, put it out. I'm not stopping you. <laughs> so <laughs> all of this is coming back to me and it's connecting to this interview with Ricardo Fraser, which was really kind of fun to see this event and also be able to reference back to these interviews on the podcast. Yeah, I do remember him talking about that, Ricardo. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was interesting to see it come up in, the, in the, the feed as well. I also enjoyed the music history lesson that I got on that fundraiser last night where they went through and played old clips of the Black Tones and mm -hmm. Heart from the 1970s. And you get to see Ann Wilson just nailing Barracuda. Mm -hmm. You know, Rain Wilson appears with Joel McHale and and there's kind of this comic element to the fundraiser. It, it reminded me of kind of like a, a star-studded telethon, like the telethons that we used to watch for muscular dystrophy. Oh, yeah. Jerry Lewis, yeah. Except a lot cooler, though. Exactly. I didn't know that Rain Wilson and Joel McHale lived in Washington State. Yeah, I knew about Rain. I didn't know about Joel, though. Yeah. Another cool thing about this fundraiser was how they really focused on the venues themselves, the history of these independently owned music venues. And it got me thinking about the Crocodile Cafe and the small music venues that I've been to over the years throughout Washington. A lot of them are based in Seattle, like the Crocodile Cafe. And it brought back a memory that I had of a show that I saw when I was in law school. It was an Elliot Smith show. Hmm. And Elliot Smith tragically took his own life and died way too young. And he was 
a tragic figure in entertainment because he suffered from depression and yet he was so creative and he made such an impact in the music world. Yeah. So when I think about Elliot Smith and his trajectory after I saw him at the Crocodile Cafe, which was just a tiny hole in the wall place in Seattle, and how I saw him with my friend, Seth Conant, another law school student. And it was, I think, during the week sometime. It was probably a Wednesday night show. And we're there, and the, the stage is so small, and the room is so small. And I see Elliot, I can reach out my hand and grab his shoe. I'm that close. And before the show, he was in the restroom with me and we're both, you know, at the urinals together. <laughs> and it's that type of intimacy that you have at these small venues that I really hearken back to and I'm nostalgic about because those are special memories where you get to connect with musicians and performers in that way and be around them in a very intimate setting. Right. That's at risk of going away forever in this pandemic. I know. And that's why fundraisers like this are so important to fund grants to keep these venues open. And the Crocodile Cafe closed during the pandemic. Mm. But I understand based upon uh, what was said last night that there's a new version of the Crocodile Cafe in Seattle. So I'm excited about that. And hopefully it will thrive. I hope so. It just, I, it'd be a shame to see all that stuff go away. And it's, it is happening in some degree. Do you have any memories of small music venues? I mean, you you probably have been in uh, bars and taverns playing music way more than I have. I mean, you toured in a blues band. Yeah. So um, what kind of memories did this evoke for you as you were watching this part of the fundraiser? Well, you know, I think back to my first real band, which was an Ajaram, and we played kind of, kind of grungy, sort of alternative kind of stuff. And we didn't really venture. We didn't make it to Seattle. We couldn't get gigs up in Seattle. And I don't, I don't really know why, but we played in Ellensburg. We played in the Tri-Cities. We played in Yakima. So I think my fondest memory of that group is we got chosen to be part of a battle of the bands by uh, an organization called the Vicka Association. Nice. Which was the Yakima Valley Skill Center. Just look it up, Vicka. Anyway, the event was at the Yakima Sundome, and I didn't expect much, but when we got there, there was like 1,500 kids there, and there was like six bands that we're competing with. We ended up winning that thing. Huh. We ended up winning the Battle of the Bands. and I never heard that story, Jason. Yeah, and it was amazing because I'm standing up on this real stage you know, with real equipment that was purchased or rented from Talcott's Music. I don't know if you remember Talcott's. So I'm standing up on this stage and I'm looking out and there's literally 1,500 kids like jumping up and down. That was probably the coolest memory I had with that band. That's awesome. Yeah. So many great memories created only because the music was performed and viewed and experienced in small venues, independently owned. So for my listeners, if you live in Washington state, this is especially important for us Pacific Northwesterners. Go to Keep Music Live Wa. Just Google it. And if you can make a donation, even if it's $1, $5, $10, and uh, chip in to help small venues stay alive so we can get through this pandemic and get back to the point where we are supporting the music industry and all the people that are behind it, the servers, the bartenders, the promoters, the musicians themselves. And um, let's get through this together. Yeah. 
And I guess I should, probably should have talked about, instead of talking about the big battle of the bands, which was, you know, the Sundome, you know, we used to play at a little place here in town called Roxy's Tav. And that, that place, a lot of the scene, you know, that was around in the 80s and 70s and 80s, there were a lot of clubs. This Yakima used to be a hopping town. And, you know, there were tons of places to play. Yeah. And now there's, now there's nothing. I mean, there hasn't been for years. But, um, you know, touring in the blues band, yeah, I played in all of the Tri-Cities little clubs that are now basically closed. So it's kind of sad. It is. But it doesn't have to be a sad ending. No. I mean, we can make this a happy ending if we just band together and really think about how to support the folks that need to be supported so they can be around when we do get back to normal. I agree. So the other thing, Jason, that's been happening this week, busy week, South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. As you know, I was given press credentials to cover this festival and first time for me, but I was not prepared for the number of emails I was going to get from publicists and folks that are wanting me to see television shows and films and music performances and listening to albums. It's just overwhelming how many talented folks are out there with work that needs to be seen and appreciated. So I've been trying to take some of that in. I watched a documentary that was introduced by Courtney Cox this week about a rock photographer for the Rolling Stone. I interviewed a first-time director and a long-time editor named Jess Brunetto yesterday, and she is part of the South by Southwest Festival. Right on. Yeah, this is her first time in South by Southwest. So I am looking forward to booking additional interviews, but it's just almost impossible to even figure out what I want to see first and who I want to talk to when there's so much coming at you from all directions. So I'm going to try to figure that out over the weekend and uh, try to get a few more interviews lined up. But so far, I'm very impressed with the way South by Southwest has put this on flawlessly online and made it really accessible for members of the press and hopefully for ticket buyers. Yeah, I'm excited to hear all of that. And I can tell the listeners out there that there is a lot of content coming. We've got, we've got some good stuff on the way. Right. So what do we have coming up next, Jason? Uh, we have an interview with actor, author, and screenwriter, Lisa Foyles. Lisa was a lot of fun to talk to. When you look at her resume and you Google her online, the first thing you'll notice is that she is a child actor, meaning that she, as a child, acted on a television series on Nickelodeon called All That. But she is so much more than a child actor. She has a vibrant and thriving career. She's on a number of series right now. She's acting. She wrote a book that I read to prepare for the interview. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot to go through and unpack. And it was just a lot of fun getting to know her in that interview. So I'm excited to launch this episode and see what listeners have to say. Excellent. Me too. I can't wait to get into it. All right, brother. It is so good reconnecting with you on the Duocast. You have yourself a great weekend and we'll see you next time. Love talking to you, Brian, as always. Back at you, brother. Hey, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>